Blog Talk Radio. And now, Geico Saving Stories. Russell Burton closed his laptop, having just switched his car insurance to Geico. He didn't think much of it until... Savings were everywhere. My pockets, uh, wallet, bank accounts. It was like the savings were following me. Following, indeed. All because of an innocent 15 minutes on Geico.com. I feel like I'm never alone. Geico. Spend 15 minutes and 15% or more in savings could be following you. K-I-R-P
K-I-R-P Radio! Good evening. Thank you for tuning in to the K-I-R-P Radio Show. Last Friday nights of the month with your guest host, Rocco P. If you are listening you'd like to get on the air, I will get you on. Please call 619-638-8559. 
at 619-638-8559. I will get you on the show. Intro music there was, well, the last song was from The Clash. That song is about 40 years old. Uh, The Clash was a post-punk new wave band from England. At the time, when uh, they wrote that, they were living temporarily in the United States, particularly in Brooklyn, New York. And back then, in the late 70s, living in Brooklyn, they got exposed firsthand to rap music. And their contribution then with that genre was The Magnificent Seven, a song about getting up at 7 a.m. I'm sure you didn't tune in tonight or you won't be listening to this uh, to this episode when it's archived to hear what I have to say about music that's four years old. Tonight's topic is the Khashoggi case, Saudi Arabia and the United States. Uh, the Khashoggi case, Saudi Arabia and the USA. And of course, when I say USA, I'm talking about the government, the particularly the federal government of the United States of America. All corporate media is uh, is fake, uh, for, all, for all intents and purposes. It's all fake beyond what President Trump exposes. Uh, you always have to pay particular attention to any story that takes on a life of its own, any story that won't fade away. And such is the case with the, case with the alleged murder of Jamal Khashoggi. And I say alleged because uh, we hear about audio that hasn't been released. Uh, I don't believe any video has been seen. Uh, certainly it hasn't been released. No video, no stills. So that does beg the question when governments who do habitually lie, uh, when governments lie on a regular basis, Saudi Arabia in this particular case has changed their story multiple times. Yes, they admitted uh, that uh, Jamal Khashoggi is dead, uh, but again, where is the evidence? And there's so many layers to the story. Uh, I'm going to quote a little bit from a piece by Caitlin Johnstone. Caitlin Johnstone, you can check out her site at CaitlinJohnstone.com. CaitlinJohnstone.com. This uh, this piece was also posted at LouRockwell.com. If you have not visited Lou Rockwell, if you do not visit LouRockwell.com, I would uh, I would encourage you to do that. It is a great site. Of course, you may not agree with everything, but uh, in general, it's a very good site that looks beyond. The, uh, the fake left-right paradigm of liberal versus conservative, Republican versus Democrat. From Caitlin Johnson's piece, this is one of those rare stories that is drawn the focus of both mainstream and alternative media, which I would also call new media. The latter, meaning the alternative media, because it's seen as an opportunity to criticize the West's extremely immoral involvement in the, the depraved activities of a murderous theocracy, namely Saudi Arabia and because it's an opportunity to attack the hypocrisy of the establishment in decrying the murder of a single man while ignoring Saudi Arabia's far more unconscionable behavior like its war crimes in Yemen and facilitation of bloodshed in Syria. Killing one man is very, very far from the top of the list of the most horrific things Saudi Arabia has done. Criticizing them for that is like criticizing Henry Henry Kissinger for not tipping well at restaurants, and of course Henry Kissinger yeah, New World Order operative war criminal. 
The dominant anti-establishment criticism of the mainstream coverage of the story has been that they're only upset at the Saudi royals now because their bloodshed finally touched a member of the political media class who are meant to be untouchable. And hey, that could be it. Who knows? It is possible that all we are looking at is the Saudi monarchy killing and killing with impunity until it killed someone the pundits and politicians are likely to meet at a cocktail party. And that's the sole reason for the extensive coverage the story has been receiving about a government whose crimes are normally ignored. I remain very skeptical that this is the whole truth, however. I'm still quoting Caitlin Johnson's piece, CaitlinJohnson.com. I haven't joined in the fray of commentary about this story because I do not trust it. She wrote this sometime last week. We are being told that Hashogi had an unpleasant encounter with the business end of a bone saw, but we see no evidence of it. We've been told that there's audio footage of this happening, but only unnamed Turkish, Turkish officials are cited as a source of this claim. I don't blame alternative media outlets for jumping on an opportunity to criticize an overly and overtly despicable part of the U.S. centralized empire and the political media class's shameless complicity therewith. But the fact that the propagandists now happen to be focusing on an enemy of truth and peace right now is not a legitimate reason to begin trusting them or their narratives. Whenever you see politicians and media all, confer, all converge in agreement across political lines upon a single narrative with a great deal of focus and promotion, it's time to turn, it's time to turn up the dial on your skepticism, especially when that narrative involves foreign policy. And uh, I do generally agree there with, with Caitlin Johnson and what she wrote. The media, as I said, is largely contrived. It's, uh, it's concocted like politics. It's, uh, it's engineered. It's really, in one sense, it's really entertainment. I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so generated around TV, but even the print media, you can talk about something about, like the Washington, uh, the Washington Post. Some people call it the Washington Compost. Uh, others refer to it as the CIA's favorite paper. And that's the uh, last job Hishogi had. He was uh, one correspondent. That was one of his many jobs. We'll get into his uh, biography in a few moments. He was working for the Washington Post. I'm going to jump to a video now by Glenn Greenwald. Uh, this was an excellent piece, under four minutes. He was on Tucker Carlson's show. Tucker Carlson's on Fox News. Uh, no, I don't have TV. I do watch clips. On, uh, on the internet uh, that gets me among other things uh, I don't waste time watching commercials but a lot could be said about Glenn Greenwald uh, he formerly wrote for London Guardian and he's the type of guy he has exposed he's one of the few quote mainstream people end quote that are main, mainstream uh, media figures that have exposed left right paradigm he was instrumental in disseminating the information that Edward Snowden revealed. And that's a deeper story, too. I'm not going to get into that tonight. But you could go to Boiling Frogs Post. I think it's BoilingFrogs.com, BoilingFrogsPost.com, Sabelle Edmonds. Sabelle Edmonds had a lot of very interesting background on Glenn Greenwald and what happened, what really wasn't said about uh, Edward Snowden. But apart from, uh, apart from criticizing uh, Greenwald, this clip, this clip is uh, definitely worth uh, it's worth listening to. So I think uh, from his perspective again, and of course everyone has an angle. Uh, he pretty much he says some very valuable things in a, in a pretty short period of time about Hashogi and uh, particularly uh, the uh, 
Saudi Arabia and the media. The media is, I think, the most interesting thing that Greenwald really mentioned. I'll go to that clip now. This was uh, Glenn Greenwald now with The Intercept on, uh, on um, this Fox News show with Tucker Carlson. Glenn Greenwald, co-founded The Intercept. He just published a piece on what he says is the Washington Post hypocrisy about Saudi Arabia. He joins us uh, tonight. So, Glenn, before I ask you about the piece that you wrote, unravel this for me, and I just want to be totally clear. I've never been on the side of Saudi Arabia. I hate how they're controlling our foreign policy, particularly in Syria. But why the outrage about this now? I'm, I'm a little confused by it. The Saudis have been murdering journalists, murdering dissidents for decades. They've been doing it at a heightened rate for the last two years. As you just said, the Obama administration was arming the Saudis in order to create the worst humanitarian crisis in Yemen by slaughtering civilians by the thousands, imposing famine conditions on millions. The Trump administration has done the same. The reason people in Washington suddenly decided that they're angry about Saudi Arabia is because this time their victim is somebody who they ran into in Washington restaurants and who is popular in Washington social circles. That's the reality. They didn't care at all when the victims of Saudi Arabia, by the hundreds of thousands, were people that they didn't like or didn't care. It's just this time they killed one of their friends. How deep would you say, give us a quick overview of how deep the ties between the Saudi royal family and official Washington go, including in the journalistic establishment in Washington? It's impossible to overstate. Um, when the crown prince came here, um, he was had the red carpet rolled out for him by Hollywood. He met with Oprah, by Silicon Valley. He met with Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos. Um, by in, in Washington, he met with the leaders of all the parties. Um, Saudi Arabia has been a critical financial partner and military partner for the U.S. For a long time, the interests go so deep in Wall Street and the defense industry. And then, as it turns out, even the Washington Post, as they were going around demanding that everybody sever all ties with Saudi Arabia because it's immoral now that they've killed one of their journalists, had on their staff two writers who both work at lobbying firms that had extremely lucrative contracts with the Saudi government. So the Washington Post was paying people, unbeknownst to the readers, to publish articles at the same time that they were getting paid by the Saudis to do messaging and other lobbying work for that same regime. Can you very quickly tell us who they are so those of us who read the Post can know that as we assess their writing? Yeah, I mean, they, the, the two of them are Carter Eskew, who was the top-level Gore advisor back in 2000, who formed the Glover Park Group, which is mostly Democratic elites. And the other one is Ed Rogers, a longtime Republican operative, who is a founding partner in Haley Barber's form, the former, former head of the RNC, um, who was in charge of communications for the Saudis in Washington. They were both Washington Post writers for a long time now, unbeknownst to readers, and they were only told that they had to get rid of their Saudi contracts once we published our article by the Washington Post. But so many major media outlets, including all the cable news show networks, have regular commentators who work for sure. consultant and lobbying firms who are paid to disseminate messaging unbeknownst to the people who are hearing them. And it's a, it should be a huge journalism scandal. The totally fearless Glenn Greenwald. Thank you, as always. Again, a good, uh, good, uh, good piece there. Very quick by Greenwald. He's uh, normally quite prepared whenever he's interviewed, has something to say. But it's always deeper. Uh, it's deeper. 
Yes, the Washington Post pays uh, political operatives as journalists, but what Glenn Greenwald did not say is that intelligence agencies are embedded all over the place in the media. Did you know someone like Anderson Cooper at CNN used to work for the CIA? Now, you could, you could dismiss that as saying, well, that was, that was in his former life. Uh, but uh, do you, when you get to a certain level within the establishment, particularly within the intelligence community, uh, my, may I suggest it's kind of like organized crime. Uh, you never really get to leave, and that's in one way how we could see if, if Ashogi's death was real, uh, could easily be interpreted that, that he was in that deep. Yes, because he was in up to his eyeballs into intelligence agencies, and he was also a journalist, something that Greenwald did not mention. So it is, uh, it, it's deep. Uh, it's very deep. Again, the story is fascinating, multi-faceted. There, there's many different layers and angles to this. But that's the general perspective. Number one, the I'm going to play another piece by The Intercept, uh, Greenwald's uh, Kind of, it doesn't. He doesn't own the organization, but I think he's the editor in chief. But they put together a nice video to give some background on this, to show the utter hypocrisy of the Washington establishment, and that's very useful. This is the basic perspective. Really, getting two different views of this. The mainstream media now uh, is having a lot of outrage, which I think is completely artificial and fake. Like the vast majority of what they do, saying how it's it's so horrible. Saudi Arabia could kill Hashogi. Uh, it's, it's a horrible thing. Uh, why? How could this? How could this be tolerated? And you know, they're starting to beat up a bit on Mohammed bin Salman. Mohammed bin Salman and MBS. I like the three-letter prefix like OBL, Osama bin Laden. We're going to talk about 9/11 too tonight. But they'll beat up uh, MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, saying, yeah, "How could he do this? Uh, it's horrible." that you know, he, he could get killed because uh, Khashoggi got killed in uh Saudi Arabian consulate in Turkey, as the story goes. I believe he was divorced and remarried three times. He was going to marry. He was going to get permission to marry his third wife. And again, it's very, we'll look at the details. It's very mysterious. It's, there's so many unanswered questions about the story because Khashoggi was, ale- was allegedly in self-exile from Saudi Arabia. He was living in the States. So why does he show up in Turkey and trust to go into a Saudi consulate? Why would you do that? And, of course, you know, you're saying uh, the story was the explanation. He was trying to get legal papers to legally marry his wife. But, again, especially the way he was placed, in other words, Hashogi is a very, very highly placed uh, intelligence asset. Okay, when I say intelligence asset, I'm saying there's many people like that that, that work for intelligence agencies directly or indirectly, uh, perhaps just as a contractor. And he had been really up to his eyeballs in Saudi intelligence and U.S. intelligence for years. Uh, and that's where we see a lot of, uh, a lot of, the, uh, a lot of the actions around, uh, a lot of the cover really around 9-11, uh, the uh, spin the misdirection with Saudi Arabia when the, you know, the vast majority of the hijackers, alleged hijackers on 9-11, which uh, started this narrative of the unending war on terror. They were from Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia has never been held accountable. We'll look at that again tonight later on. 
but you have you have this you have this criticism now by mainstream people and politicians, you know, useless people like Lindsey Graham. Yeah, now they're going after MBS. They didn't talk about Mohammed bin Salman after he became power. The situation in the in the Saudi uh, the Saudi royal family is this: they call him the crown prince. He's technically functioning as a leader because the way it works is that his his father, who's obviously older, is pretty much out of the picture, letting MBS run the show. After Mohammed bin Salman became crown prince, then. They didn't really, including the Trump administration, with more you know, incredible moral hypocrisy. He literally started to extort, torture, and murder members of his own family to consolidate power. Okay, That's what MBS did. He literally extorted, tortured, and murdered members of his own family to consolidate his power. He had them in, start out in a luxury hotel in Saudi Arabia. And uh, the, the press reported you know, the... Yeah, the complete prostitutes that they are, or prostitutes as Paul Craig Roberts would call them. They said, it's just that he's cleaning up corruption. So that's a, that's a great way to clean up corruption, to torture and kill people in your own family and not say what you know, the corruption was. But yeah, it is a great, it is a great talking point. It's a very, very valid criticism. We'll see when we get to this, uh, this intercept piece. They didn't talk that much about MBS, but that's the background, and that shows you the level of hypocrisy of the Trump administration, uh, Washington, D.C., both parties, Democrats and Republicans, so-called liberals and conservatives, and mainstream media. And the, the, uh, the intercept piece I'm about to play is very good at showing you know, the sheer and utter hypocrisy of the mainstream media ignoring Saudi crimes. But again, it is always deeper. Saudi Arabia is a country because it's under Sharia law, they they behead people. They not just capital punishment, they behead people. Um, the way they treat women, you yeah, they practice polygamy. Uh, can have up to four wives, according to the Quran. Yet the US considers it an ally. And the big picture again always goes back to the US dollar or the Federal Reserve note. Okay? And why it's called the Petro dollar. Throughout history, every every currency that's a fiat currency, in other words, every currency that's backed by nothing except the full faith and credit of the government issuing it ultimately becomes worthless because governments obviously just wear out the printing press. The reason that hasn't happened, the U.S. was tied to a limited gold standard until the early 70s under President Richard Nixon, and he removed even the limited gold standard where foreign nations could exchange uh, gold could exchange $35 for an ounce of gold, and Nixon put an end to that. Of course, at the time, like many other things, like the withholding tax, uh, which was instituted during World War II, that was supposed to be temporary, and it wasn't. In any case, the only reason the fraud of the U.S. dollar, a.k.a. the Federal Reserve note, that's backed by nothing, the only reason it's gone on this long is because the U.S. dollar was chosen as the world reserve currency at Bretton Woods after World War II. Very, very relevant history. Brent Woods established the U.S. dollar or Federal Reserve note as the world reserve currency. Therefore, countries that want to buy crude oil, which is the world trade in dollars. Now, that is breaking up. I'm not going to go into that in detail tonight. There's other, there's really other uh, New World Order organizations that are going like BRICS, Russia, I mean, uh, B-R-I-C-K-S, BRICS. Uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, 
So slowly, yeah, they are. They they plan to implode the dollar in their time. But in any case, the U.S. is tied to the hip in Saudi Arabia. You see it as Saudi Arabia is part of the Anglo-American empire, okay, tied to the hip. And no one, again, until this alleged Khashoggi murder, no one really wanted to say anything about a regime that routinely beheads people, that practices Sharia law, that will arrest you and even kill you uh, in certain certain circumstances if you're propagating a religion other than Islam. And their their view of Islam, I would say, that they're uh, Wahhabist. So so we'll go to this piece by the... uh, by the Guardian, uh, not the Guardian, rather, the Intercept. Glenn Greenwald was formerly with the Guardian. We'll go to this piece by the Intercept. And, again, it's very valuable, particularly concerning, you'll see, how the media, just like me, loved MBS. Uh, I mean, they just... It's it's hard to overstate just how much the West just prostrated themselves and the prostitute media just loved Mohammed bin Salman, Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, until this incident. Journalists and pundits are shocked and horrified by the latest allegations against the Saudi royal family. Uh, unacceptable, intolerable. To me, it would be inconceivable that such an operation would be run by the Saudis without the knowledge of the day-to-day decision-maker of Saudi Arabia. That's uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. This time, this brash young leader who has made many mistakes in foreign policy has just gone too far. Are they upset over the meteoric rise to power of Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who rounded up hundreds of dissenters and tortured some of them in a so-called anti-corruption crackdown? Or are they concerned about the Saudi Kingdom's horrific bombing campaign in Yemen and the systematic starvation of more than 5 million Yemeni children? No. These pundits are outraged over the disappearance and likely execution of Washington Post journalist Jamal Hashukji, who has not been seen since entering the Saudi consulate in Istanbul on October 2nd. This image is said to be taken from a CCTV camera showing Hashogji entering the consulate on Tuesday. We can't independently verify it. Turkish officials speaking anonymously have told journalists they believe Hashogji was murdered inside the Saudi consulate. And they should be upset. But where was the outrage over the last three years as the Saudis obliterated Yemen? and created the worst humanitarian crisis in the world, according to the EU and UN. The atrocious human rights record of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, known by his initials MBS, has not been a secret. While he has loosened some restrictions, such as the ban on women driving, he has also overseen the arrests of women rights activists. But over the last year, media pundits were heaping praise on MBS, as he toured the globe to promote his so-called reform movement and to attract international investors. Known by his initials MBS, his reforms inside Saudi Arabia have been revolutionary. He is emancipating women, introducing music and cinema, and cracking down on corruption in a land with 15,000 princes. So when I see someone having the balls 
to take on the religious component of that, to take on the economic component, to take on the political, with all of his flaws, okay, and with all due respect to his cousins, not a one of them would have had the balls to do that, that I want to invest just a little, I just want to stick my head up and say, God, I hope you succeed. And when you do that, the holy hell comes down on you. Okay, well, Okay, is my view. Okay. So. I am just back from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, where I spent the last week. I witnessed what seems like the beginning of a revolution happening there. Big changes in Saudi Arabia, where the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman is describing his new reform program as shock therapy, trying to modernize the kingdom's cultural and economic life. Just this week, the 32-year-old Crown Prince acknowledged a major shakeup in the military and also appointed a woman to a cabinet ministry. There are some things I never expected to report, and this is one of them. WWE's inaugural Greatest Royal Rumble event takes place tomorrow in Saudi Arabia. I, I can see it being a huge success, because in terms of entertainment, I think Saudi Arabia is a little starved, shall we say, and you come along with something like the Royal Rumble, or whatever it's called, I think you've got a, a dead sure winner right there. The Saudis' problematic record on human rights has been evident for a while. Jamal Khashoggi's disappearance is not an aberration. But MBS's brutality has now impacted a person that DC insiders and journalists all know. So they're finally admitting what critics of MBS have warned about for years. It's a good piece, but once again, did not go far enough. Saudi Arabia has a horrific, horrific track record for human rights. There's no, there's no religious freedom in Saudi Arabia. When I say no religious freedom, I'm not even talking about Christians evangelizing. I'm talking about Christians just worshiping is completely legal. Yet this is a so-called U.S. ally. So the the hypocrisy again is, uh, <laughs> it is intense. Uh, it is intense, and I do agree with uh, with those talking points. No one wants to talk about the war in Yemen. No one wants to talk about the dead civilians and children in Saudi Arabia, uh, and also supported by U.S. arms and money. No, no, no one wants to talk about that, which shows you again how far gone, how ridiculous, how worthless the media is. You watch the media, if you watch any TV, if you read mainstream news sources, understand you should just do that to see what they want you to believe or think, not because it's true, not because it is true at all. Let's look at some background about, uh, about uh, Jamal bin Ahmad Heshoggi. So we got some background. Born October 13, 1958. And this is from a really, really common source. This is from Wikipedia. Okay? But even Wikipedia lets some, uh, lets some gems out. In their piece, they describe Khashoggi as Saudi Arabian journalist, author, and former general manager and editor-in-chief of Al Arab News Channel. He also served as editor for Saudi Arabian newspaper Al Watan, turning into a platform for Saudi Arabian progressives, whatever that is. Khashoggi fled Saudi Arabia in September 2017 and went into self-imposed exile, which again begs the question, why did he enter a Saudi consulate in Turkey? Yes, he wanted to legally... Uh, be able to marry his Turkish fiancée, but still, why would he? Why would he trust the Saudi government if he was in this self-imposed exile? 
He said that the Saudi Arabian government of Shoghi had banned him from Twitter, and he later wrote newspaper articles critical of the Saudi government. Saudi government. Shoghi had been sharply critical of Saudi Arabia's crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, and the country's king, Salman of Saudi Arabia. He also opposed the Saudi Arabian-led intervention in Yemen. Don't know how hard he really opposed that for a guy uh, who's, who was employed most recently before his alleged death by the Washington Post. Not sure how hard he pushed on that. Khashoggi entered the Saudi Arabian consulate in Istanbul on October 2, 2018, but did not leave the building. Amid news reports claiming that he had been killed and dismembered inside an inspection of the consulate by Saudi Arabian Turks officials took place on October 15th. Initially, the Saudi Arabian government denied the death, claiming Khashoggi had left the consulate alive, but on October 20th admitted that Khashoggi was killed inside the consulate, claiming he had been strangled to death after a fight broke out. The, uh, the hilarious thing uh, about, about this, not the death, but the Saudi response, not only did they change their story multiple times, now MBS is the leader, yeah, he's basically, he he appointed himself, or I guess maybe theoretically his dad did, he appointed him to do the investigation, okay? So the person who in all probability ordered the hit, if Ashogi was killed, is investigating himself, and that's normally the way it works in the States. I mean, it looked like the 9-11 investigation, what was anyone held accountable? No one. The worst terrorist attack in U.S. history, no one was culpable, no one in the U.S. was culpable. No one. No one did anything worthy of any civil or criminal penalties in the U.S. And a lot of questions about 9/11. Huh? Where, where were all those jets that day? Where, were the, where was the U.S. military presence in the air that day? Just wasn't there. Uh, Ashogi, from his background, was born in Medina, Saudi Arabia. Again. October 13, 1958, his grandfather, Mohammed Hashoggi, who was of Turkish origin, married a Saudi Arabian woman and was personal physician to King Abdulaziz Al Saud, the founder of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. That's how modern Saudi Arabia is, incidentally. Again, uh, creation to a large degree of the new world order or the Anglo-American Empire. James Hashoggi was a nephew of the high-profile Saudi Arabian arms dealer Adan Hashoggi, known for his part in the Iran-Contra scandal, who was estimated to have had a net worth of U.S. of four billion U.S. dollars in the early 1980s. Adan Hashoggi had claimed that their family grandfather was also of Jewish descent. Jamal Hashoggi was also a first cousin of Dodi Fayed, who was dating Diana, Princess of Wales, when the two were killed in a car crash. And that all, that was an execution. That was a hit. He received his elementary and secondary education in Saudi Arabia and obtained a bachelor's degree in business administration from Indiana State University in the United States in 1982. So you, you look, uh, you see his background there, a pretty high place. And then what did he do himself? Okay, so you don't want to, you don't want to indict the man just because uh, certain people in his family were connected. But you look at his background himself then. All right. Involved in journalism, as they say. Okay, he was, he was involved. Uh, he was involved in journalism. He was a writer. Uh, from 1991, he was a foreign correspondent in such countries as, as Afghanistan, Algeria, Kuwait, Sudan, and the Middle East. It's also claimed. This again, this gem is from Wikipedia. It's also claimed that he served with both Saudi Arabian intelligence agency and possibly the United States in Afghanistan during this period prior to 9-11, incidentally. He was then appointed a deputy 
editor-in-chief of Arab News and served in that post from 1999 to 2003. CNN reported that Khashoggi was a journalist simply doing his job who evolved from, Islamist, from an Islamist in his 20s to a more liberal position by the time he was in his 40s. By 2005, Khashoggi said he also rejected the, the Islamist idea of creating an Islamic state and had turned against the religious establishment of Saudi Arabia. It's interesting, though, because uh, he, always, he always supported the Muslim Brotherhood. And uh, there's a quote there from Khashoggi himself. Yes, I joined the Muslim Brotherhood organization when I was at university. And I was not alone. Some of the current ministers and deputies did, but later every one of us developed their own political tendencies and views. <laughs> Politically, he showed you a supporter of Muslim Brotherhood as an exercise in democracy in the Muslim world. Okay, which is pretty. That's to me that's entertaining. The idea of uh, of, of of democracy in a, in a Muslim world that's rather entertaining. Uh, according to the Washington Post, while he showed you was once sympathetic to Islamist movements. He moved towards a more liberal, secular point of view, according to experts on the Middle East to attract his career. Don't you love how that's framed? Is that so? The guy, the guy was tied to Saudi intelligence and, in all probability, to U.S. intelligence. Yet he developed these other views that that were they're more liberal, secular. He was just he was he was never really. They're trying to say he's like he was never really there. Uh, or he, yeah, he changed. He was, people changed, just like Osama bin Laden changed. Um, the U.S. created Al Qaeda, supported the Mujahideen, created Al Qaeda for all intents and purposes. But then, OBL flipped, and he changed. That's, that's the official story. Speaking of OBL, Osama bin Laden, Shogi was acquainted with Osama bin Laden in the 1980s and 1990s in Afghanistan. Again, this is Wikipedia. He knew him. He knew OBL while Bin Laden was championing his jihad against the Soviets. Then again, OBL was a good guy, according to the United States government. Khashoggi interviewed Bin Laden several times, usually meeting Bin Laden in Torbor, yes, and once more in Sudan in 1995. According to the Washington Post columnist David Ignatius, Khashoggi couldn't have traveled with the Mujahid in that way without tacit support from Saudi intelligence, which was coordinating aid to the fighters as part of his cooperation with the CIA against the Soviet the then Soviet Union in Afghanistan. <laughs> so, but this is how this is how dirty Hashogi was. Now again I'm not saying uh, he deserved to get this member if that's what happened, but the idea that that the mainstream media is still peddling that this guy was a so-called Muslim progressive, and he was a model citizen. Uh, that's complete trash. That's complete trash. This guy was an operative. He he was he was controlled directly or indirectly by Saudi and U.S. intelligence. Yeah, it, it's it's all out there. It, it's all out there. This is interesting too. When you, you see you see Hashogi's quote here on OBL, he gives the official view. He, he gives the official view. Okay. Uh, quote by Shoggy himself, I was very much surprised in 1997 to see Osama turning into radicalism the way he did. Okay. Okay. What, what was surprising? The Mujahideen were in Afghanistan, okay, and the U.S. The US provocateered or provoked the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. Okay. Grand chessboard. Okay. Check out the grand chessboard. All right. It's a big nude Brzezinski 
bragged about that after the fact. Yes, this is a big new Brzezinski, who's Jimmy Carr's national security advisor, bragged about the fact that the U.S. was able to provoke the Soviet Union into invading Afghanistan. Then once the invasion occurred, then they created and armed the Mujahideen to the teeth. That's hilarious. So Osama wasn't radical when he was trying to kill Soviets in Afghanistan. He wasn't radical in 1997. He just wasn't radical then, or after the fact. He wasn't radical then, in 1997, after the fact. Uh, Khashoggi was the only non-royal Saudi Arabian who knew of the royals' intimate dealing with al-Qaeda in the lead-up to the September 11 terrorist attacks. He disassociated from bin Laden following the attacks. And uh, if you believe that, I don't know, I'd like to say that bridge that connects the uh, uh, the borough of Brooklyn to uh, Manhattan Island. Khashoggi wrote in response to September 11th attacks, most pressing issue now is to ensure that our children can never be influenced by extremist ideas like those 15 Saudis who were misled in hijacking four planes that fine September day, piloting them and us straight into the jaws of hell. Okay. And if you didn't get the memo, uh, it was physically impossible for jet fuel to melt steel and to pulverize steel and uh, concrete. And if you didn't get the memo, World Trade Center 7 wasn't hit by a plane and it collapsed at free fall speed. And that's never happened due to isolated fires. So, not, yes, yes, 9-11. 9-11 was a false flag. Uh, so... This is this is who Shogi was. I mean, the guy the guy was completely dirty. He was completely dirty. So he was one of them. So I think there is some truth. There is some truth to, yeah, the fake outrage because if in fact, uh, and the story is, and again, it, could, it may not have gone down like this, but if the story is that uh, MBS just wanted him out of the way because, like the mafia. Uh, he pretty much he got out of control, and they didn't like things he was saying, uh, and they whacked him. It, it, is, it is believable that the Washington establishment and the prostitute media then they uh, they're outraged over that because uh, you know one of their own one of their own got whacked. But I think uh, again there's, there's still I think there's still a lot a lot more to the story. And of course, the big issue issue being the Saudi Arabia is a filthy, horrible, immoral regime that should get absolutely no money or support from the United States. But the U.S. likes to keep, for the time being, uh, and the New World Order, the Anglo-American Empire, for the time being, wants to continue to perpetuate the U.S. dollar or the Federal Reserve note as the world reserve currency based upon the sales of crude oil, since the world uses dollars, by and large, to buy oil. So that's uh, that's a good part about what's going on. But Saudi Arabia is horrible. Should even before MBS, who is, I mean, obviously, yeah. You talk, if, what can you say? What can you say again about a guy who would murder and torture pe- members of his own family, consolidate power? I mean, what what more? What more he could say? And he was still he was still praised in the West, in the U.S., and elsewhere after doing that. Still praised for that. But Saudi Arabia was horrible before MBS and will probably remain horrible after the fact. Khashoggi relocated to the U.S. in June 2007. He began writing for the Washington Post in September of 2017. <laughs> uh, how big, how, how popular was Khashoggi? Uh, 
he had almost two million Twitter followers. Again, you don't when you throw out those numbers, like Obama had millions of fake ones. I don't know if they were all real. I have no idea. I didn't look into that. It's possible they were all real. But Hoshogi was well placed. He was well placed and he was dirty. Oh. Initially, the Saudi Arabian government denied the death of Hoshogi and claimed that Hoshogi had left the consulate alive. Then eighteen days later, they admitted he died in inside during a fist fight. Right. 18 Saudis were arrested, including the team of 15 who had been set to confront him. There is concern that many Saudi critics have gone missing in suspicious ways. Oh, that's another statement. There is concern that many Saudi critics have gone missing in suspicious ways. <laughs> Again, this is all Wikipedia. At the time of his death, the show he was planning to marry Hatis. Hatif Sinjiz is a 36-year-old PhD candidate at a university in Istanbul who had met in May 2018 during a conference in the city. Hashogi, a Saudi national, visited the Saudi consulate on October 2nd to get paperwork that would allow him to marry Sinjiz. Hashogi was married and divorced three times prior to that. So even in the sanitized, uh, highly suspect and corrupt Wikipedia, a lot of interesting stuff came out. A lot of interesting stuff came out. Get back to to the uh, the 9/11 connection. Okay, this is a there's a piece that was written by uh, Finney and Cunningham at the site Strategic Culture. This was also reposted at LewRockwell.com. Finney and Cunningham Strategic Culture. The title was Did Saudis and the CIA Fear Khashoggi 9/11 Bombshell? Did Saudis and CIA fear Hashogi 9-11 bombshell? The macabre case of missing journalist Jamal Hashogi raises the question, did Saudi rulers fear him, revealing highly damaging information on their secret dealings, in particular possible involvement in 9-11 terror attacks in New York in 2001? Even more intriguing are U.S. media reports now emerging that American intelligence had snooped on and were aware of Saudi officials making plans to capture Khashoggi prior to his apparent disappearance at the Saudi consulate in Istanbul last week. If the Americans knew the journalist's life was in danger, why didn't they tip him off to avoid his doom? I don't want to head down a rabbit trail, but there's a couple, there's a few possible answers to this. Number one would be that the U.S. Uh, wanted him dead because uh, yeah, the U.S. works in cooperation with Saudi intelligent with the Saudi royal family, and it wasn't really a big thing, so if they could have run cover, hey, so be it. They, uh, no big deal. Another another interesting angle is this, Pepe Escobar. I didn't quote any, I didn't um, pull up any of his articles tonight, but uh, he's a Brazilian. He had, he had worked for the Asia Times, I believe, and he says he has he has his sources. He's been writing for years. He's, he's always great to hear him interviewed Pepe Escobar. And he basically said, what happened is that it wasn't the CIA MBS in power. His his take, again, this, this is this is just this is his take. This is his position, supposedly based upon his sources. So the MBS was elevated, and uh, even if what happened and the reason he cracked down, the reason he tortured, uh, killed, imprisoned, and extorted family members, is that elements in the Trump administration, particularly. Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, tipped off MBS about CIA assets in Saudi Arabia. And that's really not that far-fetched. In other words, when you think about an intelligence agency, it's not monolithic, okay? If the CIA 
is you know operating in Saudi Arabia, and I'm sure they are. And if the CIA is protecting the Saudi royal Saudi Saudi royal family, I'm sure they are. It's not like it's monolithic. In other words, they have relationships with different assets at different times and different places. Okay, and of course, it's to the advantage of the CIA then to not basically let the different operatives and actors know, of course, what they're doing with the other actors. So if Escobar, if Pepe Escobar is right, that's really fascinating. What happened is that MBS then was tipped off because Kushner told him about who those CIA, the other CIA assets and what exactly how deep it was. The CIA assets, obviously, that warning cooperation or you know, communicating with MBS. So he was informed about that, and that led to the crackdown. Again, that can't be proven, but the big picture, again, could easily be the U.S. is wants to ultimately cause more instability in Saudi Arabia and the Middle East. It's quite possible. It's quite possible. Khashoggi supposedly went rogue from the Saudi, going back to Cunningham's uh, Cunningham's piece, Khashoggi had gone rogues from a Saudi elite's point of view. Formerly a senior, senior editor of Saudi state media and advisor to the royal court, he was intimately connected and versed in House of Saudi Affairs. As one commentator cryptically put it, he knew where all the bodies were buried. So it goes on to that self-imposed exile. Uh, while Western media and several leaders such as Presidents Trump and, and Macron and France had been indulging MBS as reformer Hashogi was spoiling the Saudi public relations effort by criticizing the war in Yemen, the blockade of Qatar, and the crackdown of Saudi critics back home. Again, I don't really buy that narrative because uh, if that was real, uh, I don't think the Post would have ever hired him. Again, the Post, <laughs> as people have said jokingly, the CIA saver paper, the Washington Coast, Post, the Washington Compost. In other words, if Khashoggi really wanted to really wanted to expose Saudi Arabia, that would have been front page news. He had enough connections and platform to really say about you know the dead civilians and children in Yemen. So I don't think so. And this idea of the crackdown in Saudi Creeks back home, uh, guess what? That has existed. It's been a filthy Wahhabist, theocratic, extreme Muslim state long before MBS. Yeah, got his hair wet. Long time before that. However, what may have caused the Saudi royals more concern was what Hashogi knew about darker, dirty matters, and not just the Saudis, but American deep state actors as well. Very interesting, then. Peace goes on. So he was a former mediate to Prince Tur- Tariq, or Turkey al-Faisal, who is an eminent, who is a figure in Saudi intelligence with, the system, with its systematic relations to American and British counterparts. Prince Turkey's father, Fa- Faisal, was formerly the king of Saudi Arabia until his assassination in 1975 by a family rival. Yeah, great history, the Saudi royal family, great history. Faisal was a half-brother of the present King Salman, and therefore Prince Turkey is a cousin of the crown prince, albeit 73 more than twice his age. For nearly 23 years, from 77 to 2001, Prince Turkey was the director of the Mukhabarak, the Saudi state intelligence apparatus who's instrumental in Saudi, American and British organizations of the Mujahideen fighters in Afghanistan to combat Soviet forces. Those militants in Afghanistan later evolved to the Al-Qaeda terror network. I'd say they weren't evolved. It was always the same. They just changed their name. 
uh, which has served as a cat's paw in various U.S. proxy wars across the Middle East, North Africa, and Central Asia, including Russia's backyard in the Caucasus. Ten days before 9-11 terror attacks in New York City, in which some 3,000 Americans died, Prince Turkey retired from his post as head of Saudi intelligence. It was an abrupt departure well before his tenure was due to expire. There had previously been speculation in U.S. media that this senior Saudi figure knew to advance that something was going down on 9-11. At least 15 of the 19 Arabs who allegedly hijacked three commercial airplanes that day were Saudi nationals. Prince Turkey had subsequently been named in, 2000, in the 2002 lawsuit mounted by families of 9-11 victims. There's little suggestion he was willingly involved in, in organizing the terror plot. <laughs> James Shoshogi had long served as a trusted media advisor of Prince Turkey before the latter resigned from public office in 2007. Following 9-11, Turkey was Saudi ambassador of both the U.S. and Britain. And again, it's the same Shoshogi who interviewed OBL numerous times and then regurgitated the the standard operating procedure, the official the official fantasy that OBL was a good guy, and then uh, then he became a bad guy. Then he became a bad guy. Uh, a tentative idea here is that Hashogi and his close dealings with Prince Turkey over the years may have gleaned highly sensitive inside information on what actually occurred on 9-11. Were the Arab hijackers mere patsies used by the American CIA to facilitate an event which has since been used by American military planners to launch a global war on terror as a cover for illegal wars overseas? There's a huge body of evidence that 9-11 attacks were indeed a false flag event orchestrated by the U.S. deep state as a pretext for its imperialist rampages. And if you want more on that, I've done shows on it. You could check out the documentary uh, Loose Change. You see that on YouTube, or some people call it YouTube. See Loose Change, look at Loose Change Final Cut. 9-11 Mysteries Demolitions is also an excellent documentary. I think that was pulled from YouTube. I don't know if it's back up. But uh, Loose Change and Loose Change Final Cut, That's uh, those are very, very well done. Washington's blog had a piece too, James Sashogi, where the road to Damascus and the path 9-11 converge. And this was interesting. This was written by Kristen Breitweiser. That was one of the four 9-11 widows. You might remember them back in the day as the Jersey Girls. Okay, It was those four Jersey Girls, those four 9-11 widows, were instrumental in forcing the U.S. government to form a 9-11 commission. So you had, if you don't know the history, you had the most terrific uh, and sustained terror attack on U.S. soil. And the Bush administration had absolutely no desire to set up an investigation. And then largely through the efforts, not exclusively, but largely spearheaded by the efforts of those four New Jersey widows known as the Jersey Girls, they forced the issue. And, of course, the 9-11 Commission was then whitewashed. But Brightweiser's piece, I think she was trained as, uh, I think she's a lawyer, I could be wrong, but a good writer. She said, as a 9-11 family member who fought with many other 9-11 family members to have a right, to have the right to hold the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia accountable in a court of law by getting legislation called JASTA, J-A-S-T-A, JASTA, Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act, enacted into law, I know far too many people in Washington. It's important to highlight that to date, and I stress that this paragraph, it's important to highlight that to date, not one person has been held accountable or fully prosecuted by the U.S. government for the mass murder of 3,000 people on 9-11-01. And this is what? This is October 26, 2018. Uh, not 
one person to date has been held accountable or fully prosecuted by the U.S. government for the mass murder of 3,000 people on 9-11, the injuries of thousands, and the responders, many of whom are sick and dying. That's why JASTA, Justice Against Sponsors Terrorism Act, warns the 9-11 families and all Americans. And that's why we hoped that a former constitutional law professor, scholar, and lawyer like President Barack Hussein Obama, a.k.a. Barry Satoro, will support our efforts as U.S. victims of terrorism. And, of course, Barack Hussein Obama, a.k.a. Barry Satoro, did nothing of that sort. Notably, 17 years after 9-11 attacks, those held at Gitmo, Guantanamo Bay in Cuba, that's, that's the U.S. base that uh, is in Cuba, incidentally. Those held at Gitmo are still in the pre trial phase of the military tribunal system. That, let that sink in, how mind-numbing that is. Okay, Almost 17 years later, we're still in a pre-trial phase for a military trial where you don't even have the rigors of a regular trial. It's mind-blowing. That, that should bother you. Lawyers who participate in the Gitmo system privately acknowledge that the detainee cases will likely never make it to the trial phase due in large part because of the difficulties created by the CIA's enhanced interrogation, a.k.a. torture program, carried out in the Gitmo detainees. Moreover, not one Department of Justice U.S. Attorney's Office, even the most famous, even the famous Southern District of New York, who can indict a ham sandwich, has bothered to file a single indictment against any co-conspirator connected to 9-11 attacks. Inexplicably, 3,000 premeditated murders took place in downtown Manhattan, not including what happened in, in, uh, at the Pentagon. Inexplicably, 3,000 premeditated murders took place in downtown Manhattan, a few blocks from the SDNY, Southern District of New York's offices. They've got nothing to show for themselves when it comes to 9-11. How is that possible or even acceptable? Where are the newspaper columns, editorials, articles, and op-eds about that outrage? Of course, President Obama and his advisors were not the only ones swagging the 9-11 families in our plight to hold the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia accountable in a court of law. Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican of South Carolina, chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, was another one of the key members of Congress who chose to side with the Saudis instead of the 9-11 families. <laughs> Moreover, for years, many of those senators didn't seem to care too much about the human rights of the Yemeni citizens getting slaughtered by U.S. bombs and ammunitions at the hands of Saudi Arabia. They all seemed okay with signing off on nuclear bombs packages, even in the face of report after report after report of human rights atrocities taking place in Yemen and Syria at the hands of the Saudis. The nine senators who signed both the Tashogi letter and the JASTA unintended consequences letter are Bob Corker, Republican Lindsey Graham, Republican Ben Cardin, Jeff Flake, Republican Gene Shaheen, Chris Coons, Jeff Merkley, Mark Udall, and Jim Risch. Which, which begs the obvious question, who was Jamal Khashoggi and why has his disappearance and alleged murder triggered this unprecedented matter character response from so many in D.C.? Unfortunately, the answers to that question make the many statements of support currently being given by so many in Washington even more Make uh, unfortunately, the answer to that question makes the many statements of support currently being given by so many in Washington even more incomprehensible. Because Jane, Jamal Khashoggi was no Mother Teresa. Well, not that I think Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa was a good person. She did not believe in the gospel of salvation by grace through faith. But you know, she was a she was a humanitarian, and that's that's what the writer means. First, let me be crystal clear. 
James Khashoggi was not merely a journalist working for the Washington Post. Additionally, Jamal Khashoggi was not merely a journalist working for the Washington Post. Additionally, Jamal Khashoggi was not just an outspoken critic of current Saudi crowned Prince Mohammed bin Salman. As as I've already disclosed, he was deeply connected to intelligence agents in Saudi Arabia and the States, deeply. And that begs the question, too, just how many people that you see on the news, how many people that write for national papers, you, you might even say how many people that write for regional papers are connected to intelligence agencies. When you only get really, when basically everything they want us to fight about is concocted. In other words, you take an issue like abortion, it's real. Of course, it's real, it's murder. But the Republicans never want to get rid of it okay, because they want to create, they want the fight to continue so you have a reason to vote against Democrats. Okay? That's what it's all about. If any, if any president, you go back from Reagan on, if any president really wanted to solve it, and it shouldn't be solved through the Supreme Court, but it happened through Roe versus Wade. Okay? That's how we got abortion on the man in all 50 states. And again, that was perversion of justice as far as how the Supreme Court operates. You probably heard me say that before. But in any case, if you wanted to use the apparatus Supreme Court to change that, it's very simple. You just make recess appointments to the Supreme Court. In other words, the number of justices to the Supreme Court is not fixed in the Constitution. So Reagan could have appointed nine, nine uh, recess appointments when, when the Senate was in recess, and then that would have forced an up-and-down vote. He would have had an up-and-down vote on those nine people. Could have been done. Could have been done with Bush in eight years, W. Could have been done with H.W. Could be done now with Mr. President Donald J. Trump. But I don't want to do that. It's always deeper than the comic. And this story illustrates that it's always deeper than the comic book version of reality published by, pushed by the mainstream media. It's always deeper. The hypocrisy of politicians and mainstream media is blatant and disgusting. Uh, the new or alternative media have a better perspective. But we still see misinformation, disinformation, because Saudi Arabia never, should have never been supported by the U.S. government. Yeah, it's a bloodthirsty, repressive, inhumane regime that has nothing to do, no respect for human rights whatsoever. I mean, you just kill people. You behead people. You know, lock up distance. You kill people that, that, that step out of line. You should have nothing to do with Saudi Arabia, and no one's really saying that. Uh, the U.S. dollar, again, or the Federal Reserve note, as the world's reserve currency, based on the worldwide need for crude oil, the petrodollar. That explains the relationship that the Anglo-American empire, the U.S., the U.S., USA government, okay, really, the U.S. being the muscle of the Anglo-American empire and the New World Order, that explains the relationship, why the U.S. is currently joined at hip with Saudi Arabia. And that may change in the future. Uh, the New World Order may have enough at one point since they basically chose the royal family in Saudi Arabia to create the modern state of Saudi Arabia. And they might de-choose, they might choose to self-destruct Saudi Arabia, to have it self-destruct. This might be the beginning of that. It would not surprise me. just wouldn't surprise me over time. Certainly they want to go after Iran. They want to war with Iran, so Saudi Arabia would be helpful in that endeavor. But uh, I'm not a prophet or a summer prophet. But if the Iranian war ever does take place, after that, I would not be surprised to see the U.S. then turn on Saudi Arabia and the royals, really, that was put in power by the Anglo-American Empire. 
the U.S. economy and the economy of the world to some extent rest upon the United States, the U.S. dollar or the Federal Reserve note being the world reserve currency that nations need to purchase oil. Again, that's slowly starting to, to unravel, but it's slow. One day, that U.S. dollar or Federal Reserve note will suffer the same fate, the same result, the same fate as every fiat currency in the history of the world. It will become worthless. Until then, uh, probably uh, the current situation, the current support of, uh, of the U.K. and the U.S. and Saudi Arabia probably wouldn't go away, but we don't know. Again, I could easily see the, uh, the New World Order turning on Saudi Arabia, especially if they do ever get their war with Iran. And who knows, again, if that would happen, uh, where it would end. You've been listening to KRP Radio Show. KRP stands for Keeping It Real with Pudgy Miller. Thank Pudgy Miller again for letting me use his platform at least once a month. I will be back, hopefully, hopefully next month. And the last Friday night of November is November Friday, November 30th, which is also the last day of the month. The last Friday of the month is the last day of the month in November. You have been listening to the KIRP radio show. Oh, I'm sorry here. Hello. I did not see you. Are you there? Hello, caller. Are you there? Uh, sorry, caller. I was checking. I must have missed you. You've been listening to KIRP Radio Show again, keeping it real with Pudgy Miller. Uh, please tune back in next month. I hope you did enjoy the show and found it informative, helping expose the left-right paradigm and the corruption of the federal government of the United States and the corporate media elite, particularly in their support of Saudi Arabia. Thank you again for listening tonight to the KIRP Radio Show. K-I-R-P. Radio!